Welcome to the Sterling Foursquare Church Podcast. Our mission is to offer hope for the broken, lives that are thriving, the equipping of believers, and the launching of leaders. More info can be found at sterlingfoursquare.com. Thank you for joining us today. This morning we are beginning a new sermon series, and we are going to be spending our time uh, in this series for at least the next four weeks. We may stretch it out even a couple more after that. And uh, I want to give you kind of the, the background on this and the reason why we're going to go kind of all in on this for the next series of time. Uh, one of the things that I have uh, just observed uh, in the last four or five years uh, in more of a growing occurrence is uh, pastors, uh, ministry leaders, uh, churches, individuals, families, uh, going through difficulty, uh, enduring hardship, maybe even persevering to a degree, and getting to this place where they are so empty and so weary in their soul that they just tap out. Uh, you could go and you could look at kind of uh, research and data that is collected by Barna and others, and they would talk about, um, in, in essence, uh, the... the um, Really, the, the, the data around this type of an idea with pastors and ministers, one of the earliest uh, or latest um, uh, things that I looked at this week that said that in the last year, 43% of pastors have seriously considered just walking away from ministry altogether. Um, I've watched in the last several years uh, pastors and friends and colleagues who have tapped out. I've watched churches close. I've watched uh, men and women uh, give up on their spouse. I've watched, watched people walk away from the plans and purposes of God in their lives. I've watched people who have struggled with addiction, who have gone through recovery processes, only to, at the end of that process, choose to tap out and go back to a life of self-destruction. I've watched friends and individuals in our own community who have gotten to the place where they have chosen to take their own life rather than to continue on. Uh, and this isn't new in uh, kind of the, the history of humanity. This isn't certainly isolated to our community. But in the last four or five years, I've seen a growing escalation of that in just my own personal observation and experience in pastoring and leading people. And there is a growing uh, number of people who have endured hardship to the point of having nothing left to give, have found themselves empty, and are tapping out. And a lot of times, uh, we endure great difficulty only to choose to give up at the end. I've sat with spouses who have contended for a change in their partner to see that change happen, and then by the time that that took place, being unwilling to continue on, even though what they had prayed for had come to pass. I've sat with people who have endured challenges that they thought would never end, only to get to the end of that challenge and to seem and feel as if there's nothing left for the new season. That there is a, a, a weariness and an emptiness of soul. And one of the things that I think is important for us to recognize, and we're going to start with that this morning, is there, there is a difference 
between these three things. There's a difference between endurance, perseverance, and resilience. There's a difference between endurance, perseverance, and resilience. If you're a note taker, those are going to be kind of our three big buckets of focus this morning that you can hang some of your ideas on. But there's a difference between those things, and many of us, many of us have learned to do one of the first two, maybe even both of them well. It is likely that as a follower of Jesus, if you have followed Jesus for any amount of time, that you have learned to endure difficulty, that you've learned to kind of face challenges and hardships in your life with a measure of faith and maybe to kind of resist those things. You maybe have even grown into the ability to persevere. I'm going to talk about the difference between endurance and perseverance and the activity that that looks like expressed in our lives. But many of us lack resilience when it comes to a moment of kind of new birth. Many of us have developed an ability to endure and to persevere hardship, almost like we're running a race and we're trying to get to this like end point, this finish line, and we get there and we see it as a finish line and we get there and we're just like, okay, I'm done but we don't recognize that that finish line is also a starting line for the new thing that God would do, the new season that he would lead us into. And we're so empty and threadbare by the time we get to the end of that race that there's nothing in us to start the next one and we just say, I'm done. I'm done on this relationship, I'm done on this journey, I'm done with this church, I'm done with this job, I'm just, I'm done. And resilience is what is missing. Resilience is the piece that is missing. We can endure and we can persevere to a finish line, but arriving there, we find that there's nothing left of our person to start the new journey. And it's the piece that is missing is resilience. And we're going to look at God's word this morning to kind of frame out our understanding of these three things, to have a starting point as we begin this series as to where to go for that source And then in the consecutive weeks, we're going to talk about how can you develop resilience so that as you learn to endure, as you learn to persevere into the things of God, that there is something left of you at the end of that season of refinement, that season of challenge, that season of journey, that there's something left of you to then move into fully receiving the promises of God in your life, moving into that season of, of rest and recovery, that, there's, that you're left, that there's something of you that's left. If you've got your Bibles, go ahead and get that out. If you've got your smartphone or your tablet, I want to encourage you to open up your Bible app. And Lord, we quiet our hearts before you this morning, and we take a sober moment to make ourselves available to you. And we do ask, Lord, that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear what your word would speak to us today, that you would give us a courage and a strength and a, an ability to respond in faith by the power of your spirit to receive fully what you would have for us. And Lord, that we would become resilient in our faith and our identity in Christ and in following after you, in Jesus' name, amen. With your Bible's out, I want to encourage you to go all the way towards the end of your book. Go to the book of Revelation, chapter 2. We're going to be looking at a few verses there to set our context this morning. And in Revelations chapter 2 and 3, let me just give you kind of a background on that part 
of the book. As John is writing that, uh, that prophetic book, Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3 contains a series of prophetic messages or letters to what is referred to as the seven churches. There's seven churches that are identified in chapter 2 and chapter 3, and you can do a deep dive on this and, and land on that these were uh, historic churches in uh, specific times and places. You can use this and, and see that there's maybe a, a metaphoric way to talk about kingdoms of this world and maybe uh, different types of governance and how that would be applied. And there's a lot of places that you can kind of go and kind of do some deep study on this, but we're going to stay pretty simple and practical this morning, and I'm just going to give you some framework for that. But in chapter 2 and chapter 3, there are seven prophetic letters or messages that are given to seven individual churches. If you've got a red letter Bible, then it would show that this is Jesus's word to his church, and he's speaking there. And each one of the letters has kind of the same type of a thing in it. It has a commendation, a recognition of what the church is doing well and the, where they are excelling, and there's a correction. So in every one of those, if you on your own, in your own time this week, if you were just interested or curious, you could read chapter 2 and chapter 3 in full on your own, and you would see that as a pattern, that Jesus is commending them and correcting them at the same time. But the first one is to the church in Ephesus, and many of you would maybe be familiar with these, with these verses but in the letter to Ephesus, we see an example of the dilemma that I think that we find ourselves in. We see an example of the dilemma that many people find themselves in. And starting in verse 2, it reads this way. It says, I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people. So as he's speaking to this church, there is, a, there is a high value for righteousness and righteous action. There's a high value for holiness and being set apart for the things of God. That you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and you have found them false. That you are aware of the truth, that you hold to the truth, that you defend the truth. You have persevered and endured hardships for my name, and you have not grown weary. And so the commendation to the church in Ephesus is that you've endured, you've persevered, you've stayed the course, you've held fast to the truth, you've kept yourself separate. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Now you can unpack this part of, of, of the letter, and there's a number of different ways that you can apply this, and you can uh, produce a lens of kind of scrutiny and self-reflection. A lot of times when it talks about uh, having forsaken the love you had at first, or you've forsaken your first love, many people would say that our first love is uh, to, to Jesus, that our first allegiance should be there, that what is being talked about here is kind of missed place priorities, maybe even a, a template of idolatry, an idea that they have been focused on a lot of the right things, but they've missed out on maybe the main thing. And that's appropriate and that's applicable. But I want you to think about what we have kind of given as a, a template of thought as we're beginning this series. They are commended because they know how to endure. They are commended because they have persevered. 
They've grinded it out to the finish. They haven't grown weary. They haven't tapped out. They haven't given up. But they have lost a sense of who they are as the people of God. When they have forsaken the first love, there's a part of their identity as believers. There's a part of their identity as the church. There's a part of kind of their, their self-understanding that is, is missing. They're commended, but then they are corrected. And what you see is that at the end of enduring, at the end of persevering, they've dealt with hardship and they've pushed through difficulty, but at the end of it, something about them is missing. Something is off. That's resilience. Resilience. They are missing resilience. Let me, let me help you think about these three things in this way. Endurance. Okay, endurance is the ability to suffer patiently. In fact, most often the word that you bump into for patience, perseverance, and endurance is oftentimes a variant of the same Greek word over and over and over in scripture, that there's this quality of kind of being able to kind of resist and hold and be patient and to kind of suffer well. None of the things that we actually like to talk about. We don't want to talk about being patient, and we certainly don't want to talk about suffering. But this idea of enduring is the ability to suffer well, to last, right, to still exist. And this would be the statement, like at the end, like I'm still standing, and for some of you, that, that is, is where you are. Life has hit you hard. It's hit you low. It's taken your legs out. Some of you have had your faith challenged. You've had dark nights of the soul. You've really wrestled and struggled with problems and maybe are even doing that right now. And it's not that you are trying to move through difficulty. It's like difficulty is just happening to you. You're being pressured and on every side. Like when Paul says that we are pressed on every side by hardship, you're like, yeah, that's my life right now. And what you're hoping to be able to do is to endure to at the end of whatever that struggle is to just be able to say, okay, pastor, I'm still here, right? I still exist. I'm still standing. And that's endurance. Endurance is to be able to still be standing in spite of all of that pressure. Perseverance is different. Perseverance is to move from that place of like, man, I'm still here to I'm going to still be going somewhere. Perseverance has an activity to it. Perseverance, that word means to be persistent despite difficulty. So endurance is like, man, I'm, I'm being pressed on every side, but I'm still here. I'm not caving. I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to hold my ground. Perseverance is now I'm going to take some ground. I'm going to continue to move. I'm going to continue to go. I'm going to continue to contend. That's perseverance. Perseverance, if you had a statement, it would be something like, I'm going to continue. I'll stay the course. And again, those things are healthy and helpful. And as men and women of God, people who are responding with courageous faith, this should be a part of who we are and how we live our lives. That in spite of living in a broken world and dealing with brokenness in us and around us, that there is a quality of us that says, I'm going to endure and I'm going to persevere. And that's good and that's healthy and it's helpful. But it's draining. It's draining. 
There's a lot of times in life where we find ourselves in a place where we're whole, where we're healthy. We would say things like, man, I'm filled up. Right? There's hope. There's thoughts about a new day. I'm excited about following Jesus. There's these different moments in us where we kind of have the metaphor of wind in our cells. We'd be filled with the breath of God. But when you start to deal with outside pressure and it starts to squeeze, like you can endure, but it takes a little bit of air out of you. You can begin to persevere and grind it out, and you can feel like there's a little bit of air coming out of you. And unless there is a new breath, unless there is a new like windfall of life on the inside, you can only endure and you can only persevere so long until there is nothing left on the inside. And many people, many pastors, many churches, many Christ followers, many spouses, many employees, many people are finding themselves in the position where they have endured, where they have persevered, really in in commendable ways and in spite of all odds against them. But now they're empty. And there's no hope for the next day. There's nothing left of me for the next journey. I made it here and now, Pastor, I'm done. Resilience is different than endurance and perseverance. Resilience is the ability to recover from difficulty. It's the ability to regain your shape. In fact, if you were going to look at just the way that the word is used in the English, the metaphor a lot of times that would be used would be a spring, something that could withstand uh, stretching, could, could have uh, the, the tensile strength challenged, but then when it is released, when the pressure is over, when the persevering is done, that it regains its shape, that it snaps back to its shape. Resilience would be the ability to withstand and recover from difficulty. Many of us can endure difficulty. Many of us can persevere and move forward in spite of difficulty. But at the end of the difficulty, we don't have the resilience to recover from it. We're left empty and we're done. We tap out. Resilience is more than I'm still standing. Resilience is more than I'm still continuing on. Resilience is I am still my whole self. And for many people, resilience is the piece that's missing. Pastors, leaders, churches, spouses, members of the community, Resilience. And when you look at this type of a concept, this type of an idea, scripturally, these things are supposed to build on one another and contribute to the growth 
of one another. One should lead to the other, should reinforce and build on it, should create a growth or a cycle of what would be maturity. Where I can face the pressure, I can move forward despite difficulty, and then when I reach the finish line of that challenge, I'm still my whole and complete self. But if there's nothing left at the finish line, then there's nothing left to begin the next race. And so we are short-lived in our ability to walk that out. In Romans chapter 5, Paul writes to the church in Rome, and he, he kind of begins to move, move his attention to the idea of sufferings. The idea of, of dealing with challenges, and certainly Paul was somebody who was, a, he was accustomed to that. But he pens these words, Romans chapter 5, starting in verse 3, he says, I also glory in our sufferings. There's something to be celebrated in them. There's something to, to highlight. There's something to kind of focus in on. And here's why, because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Suffering produces perseverance. Now, let me, let me qualify this. Suffering doesn't automatically produce perseverance. In fact, you can suffer, you can deal with challenges and just end up broken. You can end up bitter. You can end up broken. You can end up lost. You can end up isolated. There's a lot of other things that suffering can produce in you. So it's not just having suffered. It's suffering that is endured. It's endurance. It's that ability to suffer patiently that produces perseverance. The ability to say, to say, I am still standing in spite of all of this. I will not, I will not, I will not give up. I will not give in. I will remain. I will hold my ground. I'm not going anywhere, but I'm, I'm not going anywhere. I'm holding my ground. That type of suffering, patient suffering, produces an opportunity for perseverance. Perseverance results in character and hope. Enduring difficulty produces an ability to move forward in spite of difficulty, and the result is something that is formed on the inside. It's, he uses character and hope in this regard, and then he says that this hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who he has given us. And so he takes this idea of enduring suffering and moving forward through perseverance to something in you, in me, being formed, being galvanized by the Spirit of God that holds us fast to who we are, that there is a shape that is retained. You become a person of character and a person of hope, a person who has the next line of the race starts. You have something to move forward with, and it's something that the Spirit of God is doing in you. He's connecting those two things here, to endure suffering produces an ability in us to persevere and to move forward, and it should galvanize your inner person. It should result in the lead of character formation and hope being formed in, in you. You should retain your shape as a part of the process. And James says something similar in his, his, his letter in James chapter 1, 
James says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. This is how he opens his book. Uh, I don't think James would have been very popular at a party. Right? Hey, we're going to have a birthday party. We're going to have a celebration. Hey, let's have Easter. Don't bring James. He's just going to want to talk about our problems and why our problems are so great. So he leads out his letter to the church, and he says, consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds. Whenever you're facing difficulty of any and every expression, man, get pumped about that. James, you are not fun at a party and probably not real great company on a road trip. Can you imagine a 16-hour drive with this guy? Why, James? Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so what? So that you can be mature and complete, not lacking anything. You, say this, you, you see the same kind of three-step sequence, this idea that when I am patiently suffering or when I suffer patiently, that it's an opportunity for my faith to be tested. It's a testing of my faith. In fact, most of you, when you go through a difficulty, you would say something along those lines. Man, I really feel like my faith is being tested right now. It's being challenged. It's an opportunity to have it honed and refined, to have it strengthened. How you respond to it gives you that opportunity. But James would say here that the testing of your faith, suffering patiently, brings the opportunity for perseverance to be expressed in you. I'm gonna move forward in spite of this difficulty. And that that discipline, moving forward, perseverance should result in our maturity and completeness. Let the perseverance finish its work so that you will be mature and complete. Right? Paul uses the idea of having character formed in you and full of hope, but it has to do with in eternal fortitude where your person and your shape is retained, where you're not just an empty, an empty vessel at the end, but where now you are full and you retain your shape, not lacking anything. And the way, the way that you endure and the way in which you persevere becomes the determinant to whether or not there is resilience at the end. It's not enough to endure and just in your own strength and just say, you know what, I will not be moved. And it's not enough to just say, okay, I'm going to go forward in my own strength and I'm just going to try something. I'm just going to keep kind of falling forward until there's nothing left of me left. What that journey gets us to, if you ever make it to the finish line, is that you are empty and you're ready to give up at that point. I have watched so many people go through difficulty and hardship only to get to the finish line and instead of having life and faith and maturity and courage to move into the things that God has for them, they walk away, they're done. Because there's nothing left. There's no resilience to their person. They were able to endure. They were able to persevere. But they couldn't find their shape. They couldn't snap back into shape. In the coming weeks, we're going to turn our attention to, to very simple and practical disciplines 
that you're going to be encouraged to just integrate into your faith journey, to integrate into the way that you follow Jesus. And they're going to be, they're going to be helpful. They're going to help you endure in a way that leads you to perseverance. And they're going to help you to persevere in a way that draws you to the opportunity for resilience. But we're not going to start with those things because that's your part that you bring. And it's not enough to just set your face against all odds and to grin and bear it and just say you're going to make it work. Today we're just going to start with an initial step which is to look to the right source. Looking to the right source. In Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, the writer of Hebrews uses this metaphor of running a race. Uses this metaphor of running a race to mark out what it means to follow Jesus, to mark out what it means to be a person of faith, to mark out what it means to go through difficulty and challenge and starting in verse one he says therefore since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us fixing our eyes on jesus the pioneer and perfecter of faith for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. A lot of the language, a lot of the vocabulary that we're using to kind of frame out our lens for this series, you can, you can draw directly from these several verses a charge and an encouragement to endure and to persevere, but don't miss the source of being able to do that well and to be able to do that in a way where once you have endured and persevered that there's something of you still left, that you're, you're still whole and healthy, that you are still filled with the Spirit of God. And it is to make sure that your eyes are fixed on Jesus. And very often, very often, when we look at this passage, we'll talk about making Jesus our priority. We'll talk about putting our faith in him. We'll use this as an opportunity to draw people to repentance and salvation. And those things are all helpful and appropriate. But contextually, the writer of Hebrews is trying to draw us to a specific conclusion of why we are looking at Jesus. The chapter just before this we call the Hall of Faith, and there are men and women who are celebrated for their ability to endure and to persevere and to demonstrate resilience as a result of their faith. That they went through hardship and trial, and at the end of it, they didn't lose themselves, but all of themselves were still healthy and whole. That they were retained. And so it's celebrated in chapter 11. We move to chapter 12, and the author tells us to fix our eyes on Jesus. And it's not just bring him your burdens and your weariness. It's not just repent from your sin. It's not just receive salvation. There is a reason that we are called to look at him, and it's for his example. 
Because when the writer of Hebrews says you need to learn to run and to live in a way where you endure and persevere, it's not in your own strength, it's not in your own ability, and it's not in your, uh, your, your sense of, okay, I'm going to get her done and get this uh, finished on my own. It's to look at Jesus, not even as he's watching you or encouraging you, but he has done it on your behalf already. Jesus is the example Fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith, the originator of it, the one who shows the validity of it, who, who has us uh, stand on him, who has shown us the way, who has gone before us in a sense. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He endured opposition so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. In Jesus' example, we see that he endured and persevered, and at the end was his whole self. We see that as an example, but he also did that on our behalf. He did that on your behalf. He endured for you. He persevered for you. He rose for you. We celebrated that last week. And in that consideration that he has done that for me, now comes the hope that he will do that with me. That he and I endure. That he and I persevere. And that the result of that is that I am healthy and whole in him when I get to the end of that journey. That enduring with Jesus and persevering in Jesus reinforces the resilience of my identity in Jesus. That I allow the breath of his spirit to fill me and I am restored to my shape. I become resilient. And so before we start talking about spiritual disciplines and simple action steps for you and I over the next subsequent weeks that we'll build on that and we'll have a way that we can engage in this process intentionally and purposely, before we do any of that, we fix our eyes on Jesus. He did this for us. He will do this with us. We set our hearts, our mind, our soul, our strength on Jesus, and we allow his spirit to fill us and restore our shape as we're invited to follow him into whatever he has next for us. Church family, if you would stand. Worship team, if you would come forward. We'll take a few moments to respond today. Lord, we take a moment and we quiet our hearts before you. Lord, when we start talking about the difficulties that we face in life and the challenges that press us, Lord, those are, those are sobering thoughts. Lord, when we think of those around us who have chosen to give up, 
right at the moment of the turning of the tide, Lord, right at the moment where the new dawn was starting to break, where they endured so much and they persevered for so long, but when they got to that moment, when they got to that moment, there was nothing left in them. And Lord, that, that thought doesn't come with a judgment. Lord, that, that thought doesn't come with a pityness towards them. Lord, there's just a sorrow there that we could endure for so long and we could persevere through so much and then be so empty at the end of it that there's not anything left of us to go on. And Lord, I'm so very thankful that when we acknowledge that we're coming to the end of ourselves, that you meet us in that place. And there's an opportunity for us to be restored, to receive the fullness of you. Lord, to have our identity reformed in you. Lord, to have your breath fill us again, to be filled anew by your spirit. Lord, for any heart that would be in that place today where they would sense that they're at the end of themselves. Lord, that as they have contended, as they've contended for a change in their situation, as they have contended for a change in their health, in their relationships, as they've endured and as they've persevered and as they've felt themselves become threadbare in their soul, Lord, would you meet them in that moment this morning? Lord, would you bring resilience by your spirit? Would you bring the possibility of resilience by your presence? Lord, may they be encouraged by Jesus' example that he has done that on our behalf and he would do that with us. Lord, some of my friends here this morning are hard-pressed on every side by difficulty. And in this moment, it's not resilience that they need. They just need the ability to endure. Lord, that right now their, their feet would be wavering and they would feel as if they're going to be swallowed up and lost. Lord, may they suffer with patience, confidence, and faith and be able to declare, I'm still standing. Not in their own strength, not in their own ability, but that they would be able to say, I'm still standing with Jesus. Lord, for some of my friends, they've been holding that ground. They've been standing firm with you, but you're calling them to take a step of faith. You're calling them to move forward. You're calling them to action, to persevere, to begin to be persistent, despite how difficult that would, that would be. Lord, would you increase their faith? Would you give them a deep resolve that they would move from just the declaration that I'm still standing and I'm holding my ground to I'm going to take ground in Jesus' name, that they would move forward in faith. And Lord, some of my friends who have endured so much, they have persevered for so long. And Lord, there seems to be change on the horizon, but they also sense that there's nothing left of themselves. Lord, would you draw their eyes to you, Jesus?
with that empty balloon, would you fill them again with your spirit, fill them again with your breath. Help them to recover their whole self, that they would be healthy and whole in Jesus. That as they would get the end of that difficult and arduous journey, that they would be healthy and whole and ready for the next thing that you would walk them through. Lord, help us to be resilient. Resilient in our faith. Resilient in the way that we live our life. Lord, that we would recover well from difficulty. Not just last, not just move forward, but that there would be a recovery of ourselves in you and by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. A few action steps for you this week as we begin this series together. One is to just consider what areas of your life that you are dealing with challenge or pressure or difficulty. And as you consider those things, begin to address whether you're in a place where you need endurance right now or whether you need perseverance or whether you're ready for resilience. And then as you begin to make that determination, fix your eyes on Jesus and allow him to renew your strength and to give you a way forward in that area.